0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from This American Life, Jim Hightower, The David Pakman Show, The Daily Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, Dan Savage, The Majority Report, and The Young Turks with a bonus clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from Jim Hightower.
1: You may remember last fall, President Obama decided to do something that lots of other presidents had done before him. He gave a short speech to the country's school kids at the start of the academic year. The head of the Republican Party in Florida, a man named Jim Greer, issued a statement saying that he was appalled that President Obama would be spreading his lies and socialist ideology to school children. Others chimed in. He kicked off a little firestorm in the media. He joins us right now. Mr.
2: Greer, thanks for coming on. You had put out a pretty strong statement uh, the other day. You said the president, you referred to him as the Pied Piper Obama. Pied Piper is a guy who took children away and they were never seen again. Is that what you think? I mean, really?
3: Well, I don't want him to take children away, but I don't want him to take their minds away either to push to his agenda. I'll when the president finally
1: gave his speech, what was his socialist message for the nation's schoolchildren? Put down the video games, read books, come to class ready to work hard.
0: And along those lines, by the way, I hope all of you are washing your hands a lot and that you stay home from school when you don't feel well so we can keep people from getting the flu this fall and winter.
1: After the speech, the controversy pretty much vanished overnight. And for most of us, that's the last we heard of Jim Greer, the guy who led the complaining. But in the last year, a lot has changed for Jim Greer.
4: James A. Greer has been charged with six felony counts.
1: He's no longer the chairman of the Florida Republican Party. He's currently facing a half dozen felony counts for things like money laundering and theft. And two weeks ago, Greer did something kind of remarkable. With the school year starting again, all of a sudden he essentially came out of hiding to send a single message. The text
5: message. It was September 14th, actually. Uh, Greer sent a text message to f- reporters in Florida. A
1: couple know, days ago, I sat down with one of the reporters who first wrote, wrote about the story, Dave Weigel, who's a
5: political place. reporter for Slate. And the text messages said that, well, the president's going to give, be giving another speech. And just, just for the record, uh, I apologize for making such a big deal about the last one. My take on that was, wow, he admitted it. Uh, this was somebody being honest about the fact that this was not really something he had been worried about at the time. It was a pander to get people panicked to basically support the Republican Party. He just wanted, for whatever reason, to have a mea culpa. And you never really get a mea culpa after people have started a frenzy about something they know was not really a problem.
1: That's especially true today, Weichel says, when manufactured
5: outrage has become such a big part of our politics. Oh, this happens about once a week now. You can't quite set your watch to it, but you can expect on a Monday that by Friday something that wasn't actually a huge problem for some politician or political figure is going to be blown up into a huge problem. They're going to benefit. We're going to have to analyze it. Both parties do this, but Weigel says it's a much bigger part of Republican political style right now. Frankly, Republicans are just a lot better at it. I mean, it's actually been part of the part of Democrats strategy this year that's been pretty unsuccessful is they they continually think they're going to get sympathy from their base if Republicans are seen to be overly mean and blocking something in the Senate that hasn't worked. So the Democrats try to rouse the
1: troops with outrage of a Republican saying no and doesn't seem to change the political equation very much at all. The Republicans, meanwhile, are not only better at attacking, when they're attacked, they do a better job flipping the script and turning the story into outrage over the unfairness of how they were attacked, turning that into support and money. The example of this on all our TVs this week, of course, is Delaware senatorial candidate Christine O'Donnell. Even before the statements that she made about dabbling in witchcraft came to light, she was questioned about how she handled campaign finances, about people who didn't get paid, about a campaign worker who said that O'Donnell used contributions to cover rent and personal
5: expenses. Uh, we know for example in this campaign uh her mother got a three thousand dollar check and no one can really explain that but so she if you look at this on paper and you analyze it like you analyze any any story of fiscal incompetence you wouldn't think she could turn this to her advantage Uh, she did turn to her advantage she won the primary and she raised in the first five days after it about two million dollars and that according to her and the campaign and people around her is in large part a response to the way the media was covering her finances, the way the media was covering her career as a TV pundit. What are we to make of the attacks against you?
6: Well, watch this. Watch how
7: this campaign unfolds. They started their ads this week, and they're attacking me personally. They're not attacking where I stand on stimulus. They're not attack, attacking where I stand on extending, if not making permanent, the Bush tax cuts. They're not attacking me
6: on my positions. They're trying to attack me
5: she was able to turn this back into proof that the media was trying to tear her down. It was not an outrage that she said it; it was an outrage that this was being brought up, drudged up against her. The way O'Donnell put it was that this is a this is attack on me. But and she said this. Her supporters also said this more explicitly. It's it's attack on people who believe the way I believe. This is attack on Christianity. It's an attack on uh, our values. And the money she raised off that, which. You know, two million dollars is actually ten thousand percent of what she had in her campaign fund before um, before the campaign heated up at the end of August. Before the attacks. Before the attacks, she had twenty thousand dollars roundabout, and then she got two million after this. The yeah. the way she pivoted is is just a great textbook example.
7: Till now, Charles and David Koch have kept their extensive political operation a secret from the media and us hoi polloi. Over the years, they have quietly funneled tens of millions of dollars from their industrial fortune into hundreds of right-wing front groups set up to advance their goal of establishing a corporate plutocracy in America. From behind their plush curtain, they've operated as the right-wing's Wizard of Oz, only Ozier. But now, the curtain is being pulled back, and there they are, buck naked and butt ugly, for all to see. What an unpleasant surprise it must have been for the billionaire brothers to find the Hoy polloi peering at them on January 30th. They were sequestered behind the gated walls of a Southern California resort with about 200 other wealthy elites. All had come to this lair of luxury for a closed-door, four-day political retreat that Charles periodically organizes to plot strategy with his peers and get money commitments for the next national election. These clandestine powwows allow the Kochs and their corporate cohorts to huddle privately with top GOP Congress critters, Supreme Court justices, political operatives, and such right-wing celebrities as Glenn Beck. This year, however, the confidential letter of invitation from Koch Industries was leaked to researcher Lee Fong at the Center for American Progress and widely distributed. In it, Charles bragged that, quote, we will assemble an exceptional group of leaders at Rancho Las Palmas Resort. And he did, but not the kind of leaders he intended to bring together. Instead, some 1,500 grassroots Americans gathered at the resort to greet the elites. They were not pleased to see us, but hey, we're not pleased to see them undermining our people's democracy. This is Jim Hightower saying, These uninvited guests, accompanied by national media and hordes of bloggers, succeeded in uncloaking the Cokes. And now, the Coke name is a four-letter word, as in, to Coke democracy.
8: Una cabana su-
9: and
10: And then so the latest is the. Ann Coulter probably having the craziest uh, idea when it comes to birtherism, because she's now saying it's only liberals who are even talking about this stuff, and I'll play her saying that for you, and then minutes later, I'll give you another pretty interesting clip. Take a listen to this
3: of him about it. it, it is the liberal media. They want to keep talking about it because it helps discredit all opposition to Obama. There are a lot of reasons to think Obama is a very bad president who is doing very bad things to this country. The idea that he was born in Kenya is not one of them, but it allows liberals, the mainstream media, the White House itself, to keep saying, "Oh, all well, opposition to me—it's these crazy birthers." Well, no, it, it isn't. You haven't heard that on Fox News. You haven't heard it in Human Events, in National Review, or American Spectator, all of which have shot it down. All right. right. All right. Okay. Person- so
10: then, th- so there's, there's that. Okay. Ann Coulter saying very clearly, it's the liberal media keeping that story in to make Obama's opposition appear to be crazy. Well, you know, it's it's an interesting theory. It actually would be pretty smart if that was the case, but hold on a second. Which channel is Greta Van Susteren on Lewis? I can't remember. Oh, Box? it's Fox News. That's right. And and what did she ask Donald Trump about? Let's let's take a listen to that.
6: Issue, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I've heard you say that you are doing something. I don't agree with you on this whole birther issue. Plus, I think you're doing a great fundraising for the Democratic Party by putting that aside. You, you, you have said that you are investigating. What are you doing?
11: Well, I think it's a very popular issue, and I think that nobody has solved anything. A lot of people right. are calling my office. They just did a poll. Seventy. 70-
10: All right. So we don't need to hear the two-minute rant now that Donald Trump goes on. Uh, Anne, I thought it was I thought it was just liberal me- is Greta Van Suster in liberal media. She's on Fox News. She certainly doesn't doesn't seem to be liberal to me, but she's talking about the birther thing. I guess it, it, it must have just been an honest mistake from Ann Coulter, right?
0: No, I think Ann Coulter has been on another planet for a very long time. Oh, all right, well, you may be
11: right.
9: Return turn now to the latest installment in our continuing series. Tales of
8: Prince-
9: Today's tale of principal behavior, as with everything else on television these days, starts with professional megalomaniac Donald Trump's claim that the president was not born in a male
3: Three weeks ago when I started, I thought he was probably born in this country. And now I really have a much bigger doubt than I did before. Well, I have people that actually have been studying it and they cannot believe what they're finding.
12: You have people now down Absolutely. there searching, I mean, in Hawaii. Absolutely.
3: And they cannot believe what they're finding. Really? You paid for researchers to go to Hawaii to,
9: to dig stuff up. Let me give my impression of one of Trump's paid birth certificate researchers in Hawaii. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Donald, you won't believe the I'm finding, yeah. Yeah, I'm knee deep in paperwork. Holy, look at that ass. That is unbelievable. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's gonna take another two months, and I'm gonna need more money, and maybe I don't know quaaludes. All right. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I I have one character that I did, and it was me growing up. As a result of this nonsense, Donald Trump has been laughed into exile, a bitter broken man cursing his ignorance and his fall from grace. A
1: CNN Opinion Research Corporation poll has
9: Trump tied with former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee as the top Republican choice for nominee in
1: 2012.
9: Oh, dear Jesus. (laughs) 2012
12: Republican presidential candidates. On your mark, get set,
9: match is crazy.
12: Well, you know, I think that he was born in Hawaii because there was the birth announcement put in the newspaper. But obviously, if there's um, something there that uh, the president uh, doesn't want people to see on that birth certificate that,
6: uh, you know, he sees going to great lengths to make sure that it isn't shown. And and that's kind of um, perplexing for a lot of people.
9: Yes, yes. You know, you're right. He is hiding something. I'm sorry, Mr. President, but I have to put an end to this misery. The secret on Obama's birth certificate is on the line labeled color of baby's nails. NEON PINK! No, no. That's how I reacted when the president showed me and the rest of the liberal media at our weekly secret meeting. So, Alaska Palin is with Trump. What about Minnesota Palin? Where does she stand?
3: What do you think of the issue that he's brought up involving whether or not the president and uh, his birth certificate?
12: Well, I've said that I take the president at his word. The president has offered his certificate of birth, and I take him at his word.
9: You don't have to take him at his word, actually. Take him at having satisfied the legal standard we have in the country to get a passport. That's not his word. That's what the passport people require. It's, it's not a... You don't accept gravity because you take Newton's word for it. You accept it because... All right. When we're this deep into the crazy hole, it's very tough to climb out. Can anyone throw us a rope?
4: Caution. You are about to enter the no-spin zone. The fact begins right now.
9: That's right, bitches. Old William Jedediah O'Reilly <laughs> used his bully pulpit to refute not just the birth of bullsh**, but all the Obama-based internet bullshit.
4: No birth certificate has been made public. True. But the state of Hawaii has once again said Mr. Obama's birth certificate is on file. A certificate of live birth has been released. Factor investigation also showed Mr. Obama was born in Honolulu Hospital. Michelle Obama lost her law license. False. Mrs. Obama has more assistance than other first ladies. False. Barack Obama received foreign student aid while in college. False. Somebody just made that up. Mr. Obama is a controversial guy, all presidents are. But he does deserve to be treated honestly, does he not?
9: A tip of the yamaka to you, sir! <laughs> Impressive O'Reilly action. Uh, I hope he keeps it up. What's he got on tomorrow night? <gasps> there is no war on Christmas! <laughs> One of us. One of us. <laughs> So that covers it. Obama mystery solved, Trump can bring his researchers home, and everyone can focus on the real issues.
7: Well, I
6: appreciate that the Donald wants to spend his resources in getting to the bottom of something that
12: it so interests him and, and many Americans. He's digging in there, he's, he's paying for researchers to find out why President Obama would have spent $2 million to uh, not show his birth certificate.
9: He didn't spend $2 million to not show his birth certificate. The $2 million were for post-election legal fees, a small portion of you know what,
12: If there were a news story that involves someone related to me or a member of the staff of the show or a close friend of mine or my dog, now, if something were to happen to anyone in any one of those categories, I would have to disclose that relationship to you before reporting on the story. In fact, there's a chance that I wouldn't report on the story at all. After some reflection, along with my colleagues and my bosses, we may decide that I have an unfair conflict of interest that would prevent me from doing that part of my job impartially. I would step aside. I would recuse myself and leave it to somebody else at MSNBC to report on the story instead instead of me if I had a personal link to it. That's the way that it works in the news business, even in the cable news business. That's the way it works in a lot of businesses, especially that is the way it works in the legal profession. At least that's how it's supposed to work. Last night, we brought you breaking news involving serious questions about the impartiality of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Questions about whether Justice Thomas should have recused himself from the Citizens United case because of a political strategy event in which he seems to have participated. An event paid for and sponsored by some of the corporate leaders who stood to benefit directly from the court's decision in that case. It's a story that has been percolating for quite some time. When the New York Times first reported last month that both Justice Thomas and Justice Antonin Scalia had participated in some of those political strategy events, a spokesman for the court said Justice Thomas had just made a brief drop by at a weekend event in Palm Springs. He just stopped by. Nothing to see here. Keep moving. But when the folks at the advocacy group Common Cause looked at Justice Thomas's financial disclosure form for 2008, they discovered that for that weekend in question, he had been reimbursed for four days of transportation, meals and accommodations by the Federalist Society. It is a group that is funded in part by the billionaire Koch brothers. Four days seems like a lot more than a brief drop by which raises questions about the Supreme Court and whether its justices are tolerating the perception of or an actual conflict of interest by justices on the court. Here's why this is such a mess for the court and a mess for us as a country. Charles Koch, conservative activist, billionaire, corporate bigwig, bragged in the program for one of his political strategy events that Justice Scalia had been a previous participant. Lo and behold, on Justice Scalia's 08 financial disclosure forms, he revealed that he was reimbursed by the Federalist Society, this group tied to the Koch brothers, reimbursed for food, lodging, and transportation expenses associated with him giving four speeches that year and for the lectures, plural, that he gave the following year in 2009. That means at least six times that we know of in the two years before the Citizens United decision was handed down, Justice Scalia hobnobbed with and received payment from some of the corporate leaders in whose favor he would be handing down a very controversial decision in a matter of months. The Citizens United decision, as you know, cleared the way for corporations to engage in all the direct political spending they want with as little public disclosure as they want. In the last election, a political advocacy group funded by the Koch brothers, that's called Americans for Prosperity, ran more than $1.1 million in ads about energy policy. Koch Industries, the multi-billion dollar conglomerate the brothers own and run, Coke Industries lobbies heavily for reduced energy and environmental regulation. That's an obvious benefit for their bottom line. Americans for Prosperity has reported spending a total of 1.3 million dollars on independent campaigning before the election, with 96% of that money benefiting Republican candidates. That's the spending that we know about, that's what's been disclosed. Because Republicans won a majority in the House in the last election, the House Energy Committee, like all committees in the House, is now Republican controlled, and most of the Republicans on that Energy Committee signed a pledge given to them by... Americans for Prosperity, saying they would oppose the Obama administration's plans to regulate greenhouse gases. They also say they have plans to restrict the reach of the EPA, which of course has oversight of Coke Industries. All in all, all that political spending looks to have been a pretty good investment for the Coke brothers. After it became known that Justices Scalia and Thomas attended Koch Brothers events before they ruled on the Citizens United case, which has been so spectacularly good to the Koch Brothers, uh, the watchdog group Common Cause wrote a letter to the Attorney General asking him to investigate, saying, quote, if Justices Thomas and Scalia attended or spoke at Koch Industries a meeting, at a Koch Industries meeting during that time frame, it would certainly raise serious issues of the appearance of impropriety and bias. Justice Thomas for five years just stopped disclosing that his wife had any income at all. In that five year time period, she was paid over $600,000 by conservative advocacy organizations. When called on it, Justice Thomas corrected the filings after the fact. The Supreme Court said that Justice Thomas just dropped in on a conservative political strategy meeting convened by a party that benefited from one of his later rulings. His financial disclosure forms make it seem like a heck of a lot more than a drop-in. They at least make it seem like it was a drop-in that lasted for four days. The Supreme Court as an institution has very few rules that govern it because they are expected to have good judgment enough to not need them. Our whole system of having a Supreme Court that cannot be appealed at the pinnacle of our judiciary depends on us as Americans believing in the integrity of that court. What do we do if the court just decides they don't care if they're seen as biased? Joining us now is Bob Edgar. He's the president and CEO of Common Cause, which has petitioned the Supreme Court for an explanation and the Justice Department for an investigation of these matters. Mr. Edgar, thank you for your time. It's great to be with you, Rachel. Um, first of all, this is a, this is a um, relatively simple story, but with some complicated details. Did I get anything wrong in the way I laid it out? You laid it out perfectly.
3: And when I was in elementary school, I learned about the Supreme Court, and I had always assumed that the nine members of the Supreme Court would be ethical, uh, even though they held different political views. They would look at issues in terms of the impact on the Constitution and on average ordinary citizens. But over the last couple weeks and years, a number of the Supreme Court justices have just violated their conflict of ethics rules. Uh, they conflict of interest rules, and uh, all other federal judges have a code of ethics that they abide by. The Supreme Court has been left out of those rules, and you would assume that they wouldn't need them, as you said in in your opening. But, you know, I think there's an arrogance in the Supreme Court right now. Uh, When foreign diplomats have diplomatic immunity, they're not tried. I think the nine members of the Supreme Court, at least a few of them, Uh, Scalia and Thomas being particular uh, have a they they have an ethical immunity Mm. that they think uh, the American public won't see what they've done and common Cause has decided to call them out to shine some light on it to ask the Attorney General to specifically look at here these two judges who go in 07 and 08 to a very secretive meeting of the Koch brothers they come back to the Supreme Court in 09. They do an extraordinary thing. They hold off the Citizens United versus the FEC for a whole new term. They come back in September. Normally the Supreme Court doesn't come back until October. They come back in September and have an extraordinary session. And then a year ago when they come out with their decision, a five to four decision, when they come out with that decision, they take a very narrow issue and they broaden it and they give corporations and labor unions the ability to dip into their corporate treasury. Uh, Justice Thomas's wife sets up something called uh, Liberty Central and automatically benefits from what has been provided. She benefited by taking corporate money for the first time in our history where uh, corporations that were surrounding conservative political ideologies were now able to use that money in independent expenditures. The Koch brothers, for example, would give legal contributions to a candidate, maybe three or four or five thousand dollars, and then spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to trash their opponents in independent expenditures. Common Cause believes that it's time for the nine members of the Supreme Court to disclose their conflicts of interest, to have openness and transparency. We think the uh, Judiciary Committee of the House and Senate ought to investigate. We think the Attorney General ought to figure out whether there is a real conflict of interest. And by accident, uh, we discovered uh, Justice Thomas not filling out a very simple form. he surprised all of us when he said it was just too complicated. When it was simply a box to check.
12: The thing that was upsetting about that is that he had previously disclosed all of his wife income, wife's income, and then just stopped for five years until you guys called him on it. Um, the Supreme Court is a an institution that, uh, by definition, is not overseen by anybody. But um, Common Cause, you are making the first stab at that. Um, thanks for your attention to this. Will you keep us surprised about the responses that you get?
3: We're going to stay on top of it. Uh, we'll let you know what the Attorney General says, and we'll. Also So keep the pressure on because there are a lot of issues like health care. There are environmental issues that are going to come before the court over the next year. And it's really, really important that we have the, the real sense as Americans, whether we're conservative, moderate or liberal, that these judgments are being made in the best interest of our nation and not in the best interest of corporations.
12: Bob Edgar, president and CEO of Common Cause. Thanks very much for your time today, Bob.
7: Until recently, Charles and David Koch were just a couple of anonymous billionaires. For years, they've been financing a vast right-wing network dedicated to establishing a laissez-faire corporate utopia in America. But they've operated in the shadows of politics, thus avoiding public scrutiny. But peekaboo, Kochs, we see you now. Their fortune is derived from Coke Industries, the second-largest privately-held corporation in our country and, not coincidentally, an infamous contaminator of our air, water, land, and climate. The brothers tout themselves as champions of the free market, but by free, they mean a corporation's freedom to pollute for profit. Yes, it's dirty work they do, but the pay is great. Each of them has $21.5 billion in personal wealth. Up $5 billion each in just the last two years. Both brothers are among the ten richest Americans. Yet the Cokes are also among the sourest of Americans. Despite taking more than their share of benefits from our great country, they constantly grump about public policies that, as Charles puts it, threatens to erode our economic freedom. It's all about them, you see. They want to be free of anti-pollution regulations, labor laws, corporate taxes, and other policies that serve the common good. The public be damned! So, for decades, these grumpy billionaires have secretly been financing right-wing candidates and front groups, now including tea parties, in a personal crusade to crush government's ability to rein in corporate avarice and arrogance. But as their political network has risen in prominence, These super-rich, self-serving brothers are now being exposed to public view, and it's not a pretty sight. This is Jim Hightower saying, after all, the higher the monkey climbs, the more you see of its ugly side. You'd better keep your eyes on these two, for they're out to supplant our democracy with their plutocracy.
0: a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
2: As anyone who's been paying attention to the Republican presidential sweepstakes for 2012, my old college roommate, people don't know that about us, but we actually went to college together, we bunked together for a very long time. My old college roommate, Rick Santorum, very likely running for president, definitely running for president. He's not going to, perhaps, you know, unlikely to win the nomination, likely to win Iowa, because everyone in Iowa, according to the New York Times uh, front page story last week, has completely lost their minds. Uh, unlikely to win the nomination, but this race in 2012 really isn't about winning, uh, anything but the nomination, and, uh, cause they're certainly not going to take the presidency away from Barack Obama with a Michelle Bachman, a Sarah Palin, a Rick Santorum, or a Mike Huckabee. This is just about leveraging the Republican nomination and the nomination process, uh, for fresh gigs on Fox News over the next four years. Fresh. Well-paid gigs on Fox News over the next four years. So let's not be deluded about what's going on on the Republican side. That's why there aren't really any serious Republicans running for president. Anyway, Rick Santorum running for president. And here's what he had to say recently about the non-existent Social Security crisis. Social Security is completely solvent. Don't fall for that. My apologies to Canada. We're going to talk about American politics for a minute. Here's Rick in full froth this week about... Social Security. The former Pennsylvania Senator, former because he lost by 18 fucking points, former Pennsylvania Senator and potential presidential candidate was asked about Social Security during an interview. He says the system has design flaws. Uh, For Republicans, the design flaw in Social Security is it doesn't let old people starve to death. The system has design flaws, but the reason it is in big trouble is that there aren't enough workers to support retirees. He blamed that on what he called the nation's abortion culture. He says that culture, coupled with policies that do not support families, deny America what it needs. More people. You know, I read that, and, you know, we have an abortion culture. People get abortions. Uh, It is actually a constitutionally protected right, and people are going to continue to get abortions, whether Rick Santorum thinks that's good for Social Security or bad for Social Security. So, we really can't do much about that. And, you know, I think we have pretty family fucking friendly policies in this country. And if people aren't having more babies besides the Duggars, there's not much we can do about that. And, you know, it's just, you know, Rick Santorum's comments had me up late worried about Social Security. And, God, if only there were a large country adjacent to ours that was home to a lot of people who desperately wanted to come to the United States to live and work. And if the people in this hypothetically adjacent-ish country tended to have large families and tended to be religious, perhaps Catholic, pseudo-social conservatives would no doubt create a path to citizenship for these folks from this hypothetical country, perhaps to our South, because America needs more people. Right, Rick? More people. This hypothetical country actually exists, of course. It's called Mexico. Mexico. And 12 to 20 million of those people are already in this country that's so desperately in need of more people because Americans keep aborting the next generation of Social Security retiree supporters. Uh, But those people aren't good enough, it seems, for Rick Santorum and the Republican Party, which wants to do everything it can to block things like the DREAM Act and other ways for these 12 to 20 million more people to become U.S. citizens because, of course, those people from Mexico... Are the wrong color people for Rick Santorum?
11: I am color
13: blind, coffee black and egg white. Pull me out from inside.
8: I am ready, I am ready, I am ready, I am, taffy
13: star, tongue-tied.
11: Ayn Rand. She is the, probably the godmother of the sort of modern libertarian movement. Uh, her book, Atlas Shrugged, is the Bible for all these people who say that if taxes are raised, I'm going to go Galt, which is a reference to the lead, uh, John Galt, who took an oath, I swear by my life and my love of it, that I will never live for the sake of another man. In other words, I'm not going to pay taxes to support somebody else with their Medicare and their Social Security and their... Welfare and their
2: fire departments.
11: Fire departments. Nor ask another man to live for mine. That's when you hear people say, like, if you raise taxes too much on rich men, they'll just go Galt, which means they won't make any more money at all. <laughs> They're not going to go make money because they don't want it to go into the coffers because that's what it's about. This isn't just simply about principle for people like Anne Ryan or Ayn Rand. It's not about principle. I mean, it's not about policy. It's not about po- no. They think like taxes are bad and it, that it it makes you a blood sucking leech where you live off the government. Well, it turns out Ayn Rand was a heavy smoker who believed that all the warnings about tobacco was just one more al- aspect of government hype and intervention. <laughs> Not unlike global warming. Sadly, Miss Rand was a fatal victim of lung cancer. It was revealed in the recent oral history of Ayn Rand by Scott McConnell Founder of the media department at Ayn Rind Institute, that Ava uh, Pryor, a, uh, in an interview with Ava Pryor, a social worker and consultant to Miss Rand's law firm of Ernst, Kane, Gitlin, and Vinick, verified that on Miss Rand's behalf she secured Rand's Social Security and Medicare payments, which Ayn received under the name of Anne O'Connor. Breyer said, quote, doctors cost a lot more money than books earn, and she could be totally wiped out without the aid of these two government programs. Ein took the bail out, even though Ein despised government interference and felt that people should live and could live independently. She didn't feel that an individual should take help. Is this the pinnacle of hypocrisy? Remember, this isn't just a case of what she thought government policy should be and then it would be silly for not to her to avail herself of this policy that she was not able to change. This is her saying that individuals are blood-sucking leeches if they take this, that you are less of a human being, that social insurance from the state taking it is immoral because its benefits are stolen by parasites being tax tax leviers and loafers from the hard working and morally pure producers her 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 philosophy of objectivism says that one is not permitted to do things for other people uh, out of some sense of moral obligation I think it's a little generous to call that a philosophy well that i mean that's what it is and at the same time token taking this stuff is also completely contrary to her objectivist philosophy which simply goes to what i have been saying for a long time and that is It's very easy to call yourself a libertarian because you always get to draw the line wherever you want it. In Ayn Rand's case, Ayn Rand or whatever she wants to call herself, she drew that line, you are a scumbag if you take government help unless it's Medicare and Social Security for me. And my lung cancer. And then everything else on the other side of that line. That's bad.
4: And says the fight over the budget isn't some simple negotiation he says House Republicans aren't just
7: trying to score political points look at these people look at these new people who just got here you know they didn't come here for a political career that's right. they came here for a cause this is not a budget this is a cause but what is that cause?
4: is it ideological or is it really financial ie to help the richest people in the country see look that's not a theoretical question it's real. Because there are people in this country who have to, who've decided that buying our government is a really good investment. And they're real people and two of them happen to be brothers. Their names are Charles and David Koch. They are the billionaire brothers who own Koch Industries, an oil and gas giant. The Koch brothers are everywhere. Now a new report from Tony Clark at the Center for American Progress spells out the full reach of their political empire. The story starts in 1980 when David Koch was the Libertarian Party's vice presidential candidate. David Koch's platform was far, far right of Ronald Reagan. He wanted to eliminate corporate taxes altogether, he wanted to abolish Social Security. And are you ready for this? Koch even called for getting rid of public schools entirely. But it didn't work out. They lost to Reagan, who was far too much of a lefty for their taste. So the Koch brothers came to an interesting conclusion. If you can't beat them, buy them. Instead of trying to beat politicians, they started using their money to influence politicians, which proved to be a far more effective strategy. First, they needed to give their extremist ideology the veneer of credibility. So they began funding the so called think tanks. In the last 15 years alone, they've given $85 million to 85 different groups. Some of the amounts are jaw dropping according to the center for american progress they gave over thirteen million dollars to the cato institute during that period twelve million to the citizens for a sound economy four million to the heritage foundation in other words when you hear someone from the cato institute quoted in the news and he's casting doubt on global warming keep in mind that charles Koch actually founded the cato institute and that Koch industry subsidiaries have paid millions in environmental fines that's not some neutral objective report you're hearing from the Cato Institute. It's a report that was bought and paid for by Coke Industries for a very specific purpose so they can make more money by avoiding pollution regulations. The think tanks are to influence politicians and to end the debate in DC. But in case that's too subtle they also decided to actually invest a lot of money directly into politicians themselves. They've given $11 million to federal candidates since 1990. 89% of that, of course, went to Republicans. Seeing that the strategy is working, they've actually stepped up their spending recently. Americans for Prosperity, which reportedly gets millions from the Koch brothers, spent $45 million in the last elections. In that last election, Koch Industries Political Action Committee gave to 62 of the 87 freshman House Republicans. This is a coke-fueled congress. The Cokes and their affiliates gave to 13 gubernatorial candidates in the last cycle. Of course, 10 of them were Republicans. They also gave a million dollars to the Republican Governors Association. The list of governors they helped to elect includes Scott Walker and John Kasich, both of them who just happen to be rabid union busters. And that brings us to where we are in politics today. Governor Walker attacks the unions, House Republicans go after the EPA, And now Paul Ryan targets those pesky little safety nets, Medicare and Medicaid. The Koch brothers are closing in on Checkmate. Citizens United allowed them to pour in an unlimited amount of money into political campaigns. And now they have announced plans to spend $88 million on the 2012 election. They've figured out the matrix. Our politicians are up for sale, and it's a good return on their investment. And the Kochs plan to do a lot more buying. With me now is Tony Kark, he is the Policy Director for the Center for American Progress Action War Room and the author of that new report. Now first, Hi, great to be with you. it's great to have you here. This isn't just about the Koch brothers, the problem is anybody can buy these politicians and a lot of billionaires and millionaires do, but they are a per- perfect example here. What, what I found interesting is the first thing they did was to go buy the think tanks. Why do you think they did that?
13: Well, I think they wanted to number one keep their money um, under the radar, so they were fun- funding the uh, right-wing think tanks that could start building the policy case for uh, the agenda that they're trying to push, and that agenda is one that puts their business interests above those of middle-class families. And uh, they seem to have
4: really stepped up their uh, spending these days, and they have a lot more of a public profile, partly because of some of the research that's been done on them, including by you guys, us, etc. Um, but it seems like they're a little bit more brazen these days. Do you think that's because of Citizens United, where they think what difference does it make? We can buy the you know these elections any way we like. Who cares if people know?
13: I, I, I mean, I'm not entirely sure if it. I mean, I think Citizens United is a part of that, but I also think it was just the the situation, the environment that we're in now, uh, where there was a lot of public anger in 2009 after the economy was brought to its knees, and they were able to you know. Help organize the Tea Party rallies and kind of use that public anger to help further their ideological agenda, which is to get rid of government, uh, and that will help pad their profits. And at the same time, it's going to be hurting everybody else. Yeah, you know, it's I think a perfect
4: storm. You got the Tea Party coming in. Mm-hmm. You've got Citizens United that lets them spend unlimited money. And at the same time, they see my God, this is a better return on investment than I imagined. The Republicans are giving
13: us everything we wanted, right? So well, when I you mean- put all that together, they think, okay, it's winning time. Right? Exactly. And I think if you look at the success they had in the, the 2010 elections, if you look at now the House Energy and Commerce Committee, the Coke Industries is the single largest oil and gas uh, contributor to that committee. And that committee is also the one that oversees energy policy in this country, which also regulates uh, carbon emissions, uh, things that are, they have a personal interest in, because that's also what their business interest is.
4: Yeah. You know, actually, I want to give the audience some facts on that, because it's amazing. Uh, they've given to 22 Republicans on that committee. Uh, they, a total of $279,500. They've also mm-hmm. given to five Democrats on that committee a total of $32,000 because they're in the energy business. so of course they're going to go by the energy committee. And you know there's a note from the hill, which was great. House Democrat Jerry Connolly says he wants to change the title uh, of the bill that would uh, go after the EPA to the Coke Brother Appreciation Act. How accurate is that? I mean, how swamped is that energy committee by Coke money?
13: I mean I think the facts speak from themselves like the, the numbers that you just threw out I think show exactly the type of influence that they have on that committee and I would also add to that that uh, the head of the Americans for Prosperity uh, co-authored an op-ed with the chairman of the House Energy and Commerce Committee just on how bad EPA, the EPA would be to regulate carbon emissions. So it's, it's money on one hand but it's also the access that they have with the lawmakers as well. Well we saw that access in Wisconsin when the fake coke brother called
4: governor walker governor walker spent twenty minutes with him he's like yeah let me tell you how we're going to bust the unions by the way if you bust the unions whether you start public then you go to private hey that lowers the cost for coke industries because then they have to pay their employees less so it all works out for coke at the end but i want to ask you about the tea parties you mentioned that earlier mm-hmm. how much are they involved in the tea party movement
13: well, I think uh, I mean a lot of this. I, I'd like to say has been a lot of research done by my colleagues at Think Progress. Just when the tea parties began, and who helped organize them, who helped give them materials and and show them the way that to you know protest government and to make their voices heard. When you look back at that, a lot of that went through Americans for Prosperity, which goes. Uh, you know, back to Charles and David Koch. So I think from the, uh, even one employee said that their job was to stimulate the Tea Party, that they not they didn't necessarily create it per se, but they definitely helped it along. Right, and I gotta be honest, it was a brilliant strategy, because, right. I mean, they've got
4: all these guys who are now doing them favors, they're trying to kill the EPA for the Koch Industries, uh, you know, it's, it's money well spent. Tony Kark, uh, great research, thank you for joining us, we really
13: appreciate thank, it. Thank you for having me. Sirens, louder than bells, sweeter than heaven and hotter than hell. Louder than sirens, louder than bells, sweeter than heaven and harder than hell.
7: Not all of the bullies are in schoolyards these days. Quite a few have graduated to the executive suites of corporate America. Take Charles and David Koch, two multi-billionaire brothers whose lives of privilege and bloated sense of entitlement have turned them into such spoiled brats that they can't even take a joke. Last December, the Koch's oil operations became the object of a spoof by a merry band of tricksters called Youth for Climate Truth. Not only is Coke Industries a notorious polluter and spewer of global warming gases, but the brothers have recently been exposed as longtime secret funders of various right-wing front groups trying to debunk the very existence of climate change. The young folks made fun of this by issuing a fake news release on what appeared to be Coke Industries' letterhead. It said, in essence, that the Kochsters had seen the light on global warming and henceforth would be strong environmental advocates. A pretty harmless joke. The grumpy billionaires, however, not only failed to laugh, but they quickly resorted to bullying. They've unleashed a snarling pack of lawyers to demand that the identities of those who produced the parody be given to the Kochs so they can sue them for damages. What damages? The lawsuit says the brothers want reimbursement for, quote, costs associated with spending time and money to respond to inquiries about the fake release. Good grief. Charles and David are two of the ten richest people in America, and they're whining about a $10 phone bill? What the Kochs really are trying to do, of course, is to bully their critics. Make fun of us, they're saying, and we'll bury you in legal bills. This is Jim Hightower saying By the way, these billionaire bullies have also financed front groups that attack public interest lawyers. Why? The Kochs claim that these lawyers file frivolous lawsuits. Unlike the Cokes themselves, of course.
12: Wanna see one of the Koch brothers get begged for money by a real live sitting US Senator on tape? Want to? Banging away. Think progress today, posting that clip of Massachusetts Republican Senator Scott Brown, my senator, uh, telling the real David Koch how important that Koch brothers money was to him and how he could really, really, really use some more. Please. (laughs) And the Koch brothers have, in fact, been very good to Senator Scott Brown. Uh, In November 2009, when Scott Brown's race was really the only impending Republican Senate race, David Koch gave just over $30,000 to the Republican Party Senate Campaign Committee, the NRSC. The Brothers Koch Koch Industries PAC uh, gave the committee another $15,000 at that time, and they gave Mr. Brown's campaign $5,000 directly. The Coke Industries PAC has also given tens of thousands of dollars to another Republican Scott, uh, to this guy, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, which is probably why someone impersonating David Koch was able to get Governor Walker on the phone last month for 20 minutes in the middle of what was supposedly a very engrossing state budget crisis. Repercussions from that prank call to Governor Walker uh, continue reverberating for the governor, not least because in that call he tipped his strategy. He explained how he would try to trick Democrats into coming back to the state capitol, thus affording the Senate a quorum to pass his union stripping thing. He also explained how he would use the threat of laying off state workers for its political effect. Well, now that prank call is giving Governor Walker a whole new headache. Wisconsin State Democrats have filed an ethics complaint over what Mr. Walker said to the guy he thought was David Koch, over what Governor Walker said to the man he believed was the oil billionaire who had funded his campaign, specifically they're raising ethical concerns about this part.
8: In the coming days and weeks and months ahead, particularly in some of these uh, more swing areas, a lot of these guys are going to need, they don't necessarily need ads for them, but they, they're going to need a message out reinforcing why this was a good thing to do for the economy, a good thing to do for the state. So the extent that that message is out over and over again, that's obviously a good thing.
12: Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker suggesting to the fake David Koch that the real David Koch should uh, get out the message for Republicans raising the idea of a little Koch funded independent expenditure to support the state's Republican senators particularly in swing districts you know that's the thing though about independent expenditures if a politician suggests them they are no longer independent Wisconsin Democrats say Mr. Walker was not only illegally coordinating campaign expenditures in that moment, he was soliciting David Koch's financial help from the governor's office inside the state capitol. You are not supposed to solicit campaign contributions from your public office. You know, talking about the Koch brothers uh, in 2011 is starting to feel a little bit like talking about Karl Rove in 2004. Uh, if you care about progressive politics or even just fair play in 2011, you really can't get away from the Koch brothers. They're becoming way too ubiquitous. Their names pop up in every scummy political scandal, one after another. From the Wisconsin union busting and the phony AstroTurf bus tours to the questionable partiality of America's Supreme Court justices, it feels like every time a really gross new political scandal erupts, big or small, there's the Koch brothers with the chair pulled up to the table. I do not want it to be true. I am sick of these guys already. But every time you turn over a political rock, there they are. Another example, the new Consumer Product Safety Commission database that was scheduled to go online this week. It is a no-brainer. It's an online, searchable database the public can use to find out about safety concerns for household products. Like I said, sort of a no-brainer. It passed the House of Representatives unanimously in 2007. It passed the Senate by a mile. The legislation creating it was signed into law by George W. Bush to precisely zero controversy because dear Lord, who is going to object to consumer product safety information being put online? This guy will. Uh, The Vote American slogan here has to do with the fact that Mike Pompeo was running against an Indian American opponent in the last election. Vote American, even though the other guy's American too, or he wouldn't be able to run, but you know what I mean. Mike Pompeo was elected thanks in large part to his largest campaign contributors, the Koch brothers and their PAC. Koch Industries is based in Mr. Pompeo's district in Wichita after the Koch brothers spent many, many thousands of dollars lobbying on the issue of that dastardly consumer product safety database, suddenly America found one congressman who was willing to try to kill it. Mike Pompeo, Republican of Koch brothers. I mean, Kansas. Mr. Pompeo has tried to spike this database. The Kansas City Star reporting today that it looks like he will fail in those efforts, but I'm sure the men upstairs appreciate his efforts anyway. I do not want to keep talking about the Koch brothers. Really, I do not. I always want to say it's Koch because of the way it's spelled. They're awkward, they're boring, I'm not interested in talking about them. I don't want to keep putting their names in the spotlight. But dude, these guys are earning it every single day.
6: Hi Jay, um, I was listening to the show recently, uh, catching up on some back episodes and uh, listening to the, uh, the Muslim one, I uh, heard the guy from uh, Portland talking about the uh, idea of a show based on food and I have to say I think that's an excellent idea, I have been thinking along the same lines myself. Uh, my name is Patrick, I'm a physician near Dallas, Texas and I'm another vegan tons of topics, not strictly on the uh, on the vegan. I don't think going vegan would eliminate all medicine and surgery, but it has been estimated that 70% of our medical costs in the country are related to diet. So I definitely would go a big step in that direction. Uh, he talked about animal rights issues. I think that's a big one. Um, also, the human rights issues associated with the uh, inhumane conditions applied to slaughterhouse workers, many of whom are extremely poor, and uh, really work under wretched, uh, hazardous conditions. A uh, lot of topics to explore on there. Uh, also, people uh, in uh, Florida and Iowa banning uh, photography of farms uh, as a uh, way to uh, prevent any investigative uh, journalism on uh, exposing cruelty to animals, and yet trampling all, trampling all over the, uh, of the Constitution while attempting to do so. Anyway, love the show. I've got the app. I look forward to uh, evaluating the member category soon, and all the best.
8: Bye. Hey, Jay, this is Ryan from New York. Uh, I'm just calling in in response to a call I heard on the last show. I guess I'll call it Beck's uh, Farewell Show. I'm not really sure what the title of it was. Um, But at the end, there was a caller who wanted to, for I guess, vocabulary clarification, we could call it, um, saying that, you know, Obama didn't put, uh, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, as uh, one of the clips you played claimed um, that they were CIA advisors, quote unquote. Um, Honestly, you know, it's it's conflated because advisors is, is almost the same thing. Um, I'm a history major. I'm trying to earn my PhD in American history. So here's a little history lesson, and this is the problem with most Americans. We don't remember our history. But uh, in May of 1961, President Kennedy sent 400 American special advisors to South Vietnam to train South Vietnamese soldiers in the methods of counterinsurgency insurgency to fight against the Viet Cong guerrillas. So uh, it was. I want to say less than a year later that we were pretty much fully engaged in war on the ground in Vietnam. So when you hear a president is sending in advisors, I don't care if there's 10 advisors, a 100 advisors, whatever 400 in the case of Vietnam uh, that tends to signify that there will soon be ground troops moving in um, sometime thereafter. So I just wanted to clarify that you know whoever, uh made the original claim that he was sending troops in. Um advisors and troops are, are pretty much uh indistinguishable from each other in the American context. So yes, vocabulary can be can play an important role, but if we know our history, we know that advisors tend to mean that war isn't far in sight. Thank you for everything you do and uh keep up the good work. Love the show, Jay. Uh talk to you soon buddy. Peace. Hey, Jay. Uh, Ryan again from New York. Quick note on that last call-in. Uh, just want to correct myself. Uh, I did say uh, 400 advisors were put in in 61. Um, and then I, I don't know why, but I said that war was declared less than a year later. Uh, that was incorrect. Correcting myself, it was declared three years later. But still, 400 advisors go in. Three years later, a couple thousand troops are sent in. So, yeah, that that's just a correction to that last one. All right. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. What I want to talk to you about today is an organization called the New Leaders Council, and they've been mentioned on the show before, but not in a little while, so I'm going to talk about them again today. Uh, the New Leaders Council is this really interesting organization that I got hooked up with about six months ago last fall. And... Um, The most succinct way I can think to describe what they do is they, uh, at least part of what they do, what I'm engaged with, is that they train progressive-minded, politically active people to be better progressive-minded, politically active people. It's basically like signing up for the National Guard. It's one weekend a month for about five months. And uh, so I'm in the middle of that process right now. I've gone through four of these training sessions, full weekends where, you know, all day, for Saturday and Sunday, we go through these really intense, really densely packed training sessions that are incredibly informative. One of the most amazing things about it, besides being incredibly informative, is that it's been free. I haven't paid anything for it, uh, and I won't have to pay anything for it. So. Um, So imagine that, you know, that happened to me. I've learned all sorts of great things. It's made me, you know, more politically aware, more, you know, in tune with how the system works. And, uh, you know, I have a better understanding of how I can work within it and how can I work to change it and all those sorts of things. And I haven't had to pay for it. And the same thing has been happening to, you know, 25 other fellows going through the same program with me here in Chicago. And there are other institutes through the New Leaders Council, going on in cities all across the country, so we're talking hundreds of people are being trained uh, in these, uh, you know, fellowship programs, and it happened last year, it's going to happen next year, and it's going to keep going, and it's amazing. So you know, it's it's a great program. I've really been enjoying it, really gotten a lot out of it, uh, and haven't had to pay for it, which leads me to uh, something that you're probably not going to be surprised to hear which is that, of course, they fund themselves in part uh, by having fundraisers every year. So I am here to tell you that although you may not live in Chicago, so you may not be able to make it to the fundraiser itself, if you support the idea of the organization, uh, you certainly don't have to attend in order to uh, show your support, shall we say. Uh, So the, the fundraiser is happening. If you are in the Chicago area, you are definitely invited. Uh, not only will I be there, uh, which to some of you might be of interest. I don't know why, but, uh, you know, you never know. Um, but then also, it's it's going to be jam-packed full of just incredibly smart, incredibly ambitious, uh, you know, politically-minded people here in Chicago. So if you're in the area and you listen to this show, they're probably people that you should meet because – Amazing things can happen when you meet these sorts of people—not um, me, but uh, these people who have connections. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it can be incredible, so I certainly encourage you to show up. Uh, the event is happening May 11th in the evening. For all the details, uh, the, the link that you can go to is—it's one of those Bitly links: b i t . l y Bitly slash support NLC New Leaders Council NLC bit.ly slash support NLC. And uh, that is where you can uh, purchase your ticket, of course, because it's a fundraiser. Uh, you can purchase your ticket for the event. You get all the, the details about where it is. It's downtown. And if you can't make it and uh, you want to be supportive anyways, there's a little donation box you know, that doesn't purchase a ticket, you can just throw a couple of bucks our way. I have set a personal goal of raising $1,000 for this event. Um, the tickets are not incredibly expensive. They're like, I think $25 for students, 35 for non-students. So it, it really is manageable. I'm just hoping to, uh, you know, be able to raise the money because there are lots of people out there all across the country who should be supportive of this in general. And I'm telling you, it's been great for me, so I'm asking you to support this group that's been so supportive of me. So again, check out bit.ly slash support and believe me, this is not the last you're going to hear me talk about it. Now, I just want to thank a couple of members who have been very supportive of this show. Of course, uh, Anna P. signed up for a socialist membership, uh, paid for a full year in advance back on October 22nd. So thank you very much, Anna. And Natasha N. It's another yearly member who signed up uh, with a leftist membership back on April 26th. Huge thanks to Anna and Natasha and all the members who make the show possible. Of course, everyone can support the show just by continuing to tell everyone you know about it. It really does help. You can stay tuned in between episodes and help spread the word online by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details about the show, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left Podcast, coming to you 11 times a month thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show. From of the Left.
12: Combin' black and
11: white. You took apart a part of the picture that wasn't right.
6: Pitch burning on a shining sheet. The only maker that you want to be. A dying man in a living room. The shadow bases the floor. Take you out.